You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Crossing family, and uh, good morning to all of you who are watching online uh, with us today. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors of the Crossing Church. On behalf of our pastors and some of our worship team and tech crew with me uh, today, we want to welcome you as you watch online. And uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. And I want to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke 5 is where we're going to camp out this morning. So um, last Friday night, I was in my living room. It's about 8 p.m. We're about to put the kids to bed, and I hear this knock on the door. And so I look up and I can see through the storm door and there's Alicia Chambers uh, standing in my on my porch. And so Alicia is a good friend of my family. She's a member of our church. And so for a split second, I like forgot all about this social distancing thing. And I just jump up and I ran to the door to greet her and welcome her in. And I get to the door and she like puts her hand over her mouth and says, stop, you know, like don't come outside. Don't go any further. Like I, I, I don't need, you know, to contract anything from you. I just wanted to see your family. And so, um, I, I'm like, yeah, shoot, I forgot about this, all this thing. And so I'm standing there separated by this like p- plexiglass and I give her a hug through the glass, which I think we got a blurry picture of. And, uh, and then my wife comes and she joins us and we stand on the porch at a safe six feet distance and we laugh and we cry, uh, because we talk about how much we miss our people. I had a, a similar experience recently with Steve Carpenter. He and his wife Gina are founding members of our church, and Steve had to drop something off at my house recently, and we stood there, and I said, man, if not for the social distancing, I would totally give you a hug. And before I could even finish speaking, he wraps me up and gives me a hug, and I'm like, Steve, listen, you know, like, I'm not trying to call you old, but like, older people really need to kind of like take care of themselves. And he says, listen, I've survived five heart attacks. If I contract the coronavirus from you and it kills me, this hug was worth it. And so I'm like, just don't tell Gina that you hugged me. And so... Um, Steve leaves, and as he leaves, I stand there in my driveway with this kind of like strange sting in my chest that feels both like relief because I needed that hug and grief because I'm, I'm sad and I'm lonely for our people and for my crossing family and for my missional community and for my friends. And I know I speak on behalf of our pastors, and Luke shared this this morning, that, man, I so miss gathering with you guys. Like, I miss this place being full and chaotic. I miss your faces. I miss hugging you. I miss taking communion with you. I miss hearing you sing. I miss hearing Randy scream, yes, like all throughout the sermon. I just like, I miss sharing meals with my missional community. And I I just, I long to be on the other side of this thing, whatever life's going to look like. I long for us to be together again. And the reality is, I know that I'm not alone in my loneliness. Social distancing and the inability to gather has left most of us feeling isolated and alone in this season. And, and some of you watching right now are literally alone. I mean, in your apartment, in your house alone. Some of you uh, watching have been exposed by the to the virus and you're having to stay quarantined away from your spouse and away from your kids. Or some of you are feeling alone because you're stuck in the house with your kids. Like every moment, every day, you miss your friends, you miss your social life, and you're just stuck at home. You don't even know what day it is. 
Some of you um, feel alone because you miss your job and you miss going to the gym and you miss all your normal social rhythms. Or I think about my friends in my missional community, Robert and Mallory, who who both uh, are essential workers, both nurses. And I think about uh, uh, my, you know my friend Tammy, who works in food production, and they talk with me about the particular kind of loneliness that essential workers are feeling in this season, being on the front lines of this and risking themselves for the rest of us. And even my my introverted friends are starting to admit that they are stir crazy and they're missing their people. And my point is, due, due to the COVID-19 shutdown, all of us in some way or another find ourselves in a season of, of kind of a forced isolation. And by the way, we're really going to feel this if Arkansas moves to a shelter-in-place order like Missouri did two days ago and like so many states have done. And according to uh, many who are starting to write about this, I think a former U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who writes about this, it's in this place of isolation that the coronavirus is confronting us with one of our deepest struggles and fears as human beings, which is the thought or the feeling of being truly and ultimately alone. I mean, you may be a little bit more uh, on the introverted side of things. In fact, that's where I find myself, believe it or not. But even, even my introverted friends, like you may like your space, but at the end of your life, nobody wants to be truly alone. It's the reason why solitary confinement is such a severe punishment or being exiled. It's the reason why the first thing God says isn't good in the garden in Genesis 2 is for human beings to be alone. The truth is we were made for relationship. And yet, in the words of Tim Keller, there is an irreducible, unavoidable solitude about the human condition. There's an inescapable loneliness, he says, and it's the thing that we're all trying to avoid. Henry Nouwen, the late Dutch Catholic priest and theologian, he said it like this, It is the most basic human loneliness that threatens us and is so hard to face. Too often we will do everything possible to avoid the confrontation with the experience of being alone. And sometimes we are able to create the most ingenious devices to prevent ourselves from being reminded of this condition. Now, with that being said, we find ourselves in a moment where this basic human loneliness that Keller and Nowen talk about is basically it's becoming more, more and more difficult for us to escape. And this creates a problem for us because ultimately, as relational creatures, we don't want to be alone and we don't know how to be alone. And that's the problem that I want to address this morning. But the question I want to invite you to consider this morning, like wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the question I want to invite you to wrestle with is this. What if this isolation and this dormancy is actually a gift? Not a good thing in and of itself, but what if it's a gift? What if God is speaking in this moment and actually trying to get our attention and say something to us about how we were designed and what it is that we were truly made for? What if solitude is actually a place where God is inviting and leading us into so that he can change us and give us a greater sense of his presence. And just to show you all my cards, I believe that's exactly what God is up to in this very historical moment. The question you and I have to wrestle with is, what does it look like for us to practice solitude and meet God in that place? And to help us answer that question, as always, I want us to look to Jesus. And so that said, take a look with me at Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Here's what Luke says about Jesus. The news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. 
But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I would, I would circle or underline that phrase, lonely places. The word here that the NIV translates lonely places, it's one word in Greek and it's the word eremos. And there are several ways to translate eremos into English. For example, this is the same word for the desert or the wilderness. It can be translated the desolate place, the solitary place, the lonely place, as the NIV has it here, or even the quiet place. And notice, Luke tells us that Jesus went to the Eremos, he went to this lonely place frequently. Verse 16 again, Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. Listen to uh, a few other translations of Luke 5.16. The Net Bible has Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. Or the New Century Version reads, Jesus often slipped away to be alone so he could pray. Or I love the message paraphrase which says this, As often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. The point is, Jesus made it a regular rhythm or habit in his life to slip away from people and just be alone in the quiet with himself and with his Father. It's been said that the cure for loneliness is both community and solitude. So you need both. You need time with people, and you need time alone with yourself and with God. And all throughout the four Gospels, you see Jesus modeling and managing the tension of both those realities. He's highly relational. He does life in community with his disciples. He spends tons of energy engaging and serving individuals and crowds. But then you also see him frequently disappear to the top of a mountain or wake up early and slip out into the desert or into the wilderness to spend time alone with his Father in prayer. And so regardless of whether or not solitude is a normal spiritual practice or habit for you, the reality is due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we have been forced against our will into kind of an involuntary desert or wilderness. It's just where we are. And as pastors, we believe that we're actually standing in a massive moment in, in like the grand plot of redemptive history because we believe right now in this moment, God is actually leading our church and he's leading his church around the globe into this desert so that like Jesus, we can meet with him and encounter his presence and be transformed. That's why Henry Nouwen, to quote him again, calls solitude the furnace of transformation. So here's the full quote. Uh, Nouwen says this, Solitude is is not a private therapeutic place. So this, by the way, not, this is not going to feel like a day at the spa. It's going to feel more like a war. Solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversion, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born, the place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the flesh. Solitude is the place of the great struggle and the great encounter, the struggle against the compulsions of the false self, and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. All that to say, this is, this is a dark moment in human history. And we would never say that this virus is good, but God is good. 
And God is in the business of transforming darkness into light and and brokenness into beauty and transforming death into life. And so right now in this moment, through this pandemic, I believe God is inviting us and calling us to follow Jesus into the desert and enter into the furnace of transformation because he has some deep, deep work he wants to do in us. And on that note... We see in the life of Jesus at least three ways God uses the desert or, or solitude to transform us. And I believe these are three things that God wants to do in a very special and like exaggerated way in His church, in us, in this season and moving forward. So first off, if you're taking notes, God uses solitude to change you as you come into an encounter with your emotions. As you become aware of your interior world, the cauldron of stuff that's always cooking and brewing on the inside of you, you come face to face with that. Matthew 26, we read a story of Jesus just moments before his death where he tells his disciples, you guys stay over here. I'm going to go over there to pray. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he takes a few disciples with him, but they just end up falling asleep. And so while Jesus is there alone with his father, his thoughts and his emotions begin to come to the surface. And we read this in verse 38. My soul, Jesus says, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he says in verse 39, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but your will be done. So Jesus gets away to a quiet place to process all of his thoughts and his emotions before the Father. And it's in that place that he's forced to sit in and encounter full on the weight of his sorrow, the weight of his grief. I mean, this, you don't think this thing's been with him building this whole time? And now he's actually sitting in it and it's all kind of catching up to him. He feels the weight of his loneliness and his fear and his thoughts of, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through with this. And here's the takeaway. It's in the practice of solitude that you slow down long enough and you breathe and you actually let your heart catch up to your body. And all the feelings that you've been running away from and numbing through hurry and busyness and digital distraction and entertainment and work and kids' activities and social life, all that stuff that's in you starts to come to the surface and you have to face it. You have to meet God in that place. Your fear, your anxiety, your grief, your loss, the tension in your body, the weight of your disappointments, your dreams unfulfilled, your anger, your frustration, your wounds, your unrepentant sin, your imperfections, your severe limitations. Like all the stuff that you try to, you try to escape and, and keep buried, it just kind of comes to the surface. Perhaps a better image is that you actually sink below the surface. Like when you stop and get still, God actually takes you. He begins to draw you and pull you down below like the, the kind of the superficial waterline of your life. And he begins to lead you into the core of your heart and your inner being. And that's the place where the real you meets the real Jesus. And it can be a scary place because in that place there are no filters. There are no buffers. There's no place for you to hide except for in the safety of his presence and love where you belong. And so it's in that way that through solitude, you begin to experience what every human soul longs for, which is to be known, to belong, and to be loved. And it's hard to experience that when we spend our lives addicted to distraction and skimming across the surface. 
And so we're transformed through solitude as we come into an encounter with our emotions and we embrace them as invitations and places to meet with God. Secondly, God uses solitude to change us as we come into an encounter with spiritual warfare. In Matthew chapter 4, we, we read this in verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, that's Eremos, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the point. Jesus fought with Satan in the desert, so will we. Um, the wilderness is the place where you kind of wake up and sober up to the reality that, that you've been like dodging or trying to avoid. The reality that you really are, we really are in a real spiritual war. And we have a real enemy who wants to destroy us. And typically, he plays off of your desires and your longings and your feelings. So he comes to Jesus in a place of his hunger. Jesus is legitimately hungry, and Satan says, hey, just transform these rocks into a sandwich, and you can get some relief. And here's the application. When all of this stuff starts to come to the surface, whatever it is in you that you don't want to face, you're going to be tempted to turn away from God and reach for the fix. And I have, I have seen, I have battled this a lot in the last couple of weeks. I have, um, I have felt a lot of stress and anxiety the last couple of weeks. And for me, the temptation has been food and Netflix and YouTube and Coca-Cola. Like, I'm not going to lie. Don't judge me. They're a dollar at McDonald's. Like, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's been a core temptation for me. And I just want something quick, like to numb the anxiety, right? And just help me escape my reality for a moment. That's the temptation every moment, every day. But here's what happens in solitude. In solitude, all those little creature comforts that we use to medicate and escape are torn away from us, and they're seen for what they are. Or as one writer puts it, our trust structures are revealed. The things that we look to and we lean on for a sense of stability and security and identity, the things you and I feel like we have to have in order to be okay, And the biblical word for that would be our idols. And often they're good things, like our relationships, our routines, our possessions, food and drink, work, a steady paycheck. But then God has a way of leading us into the desert to show us just how in bondage we are to those things for our happiness. That being said, I believe this pandemic has brought us into a place where our personal and cultural idols and trust structures have been exposed. Like they've just been exposed. And the anxiety that you and I are bumping up against is because we're realizing now um, that the system we've built all along has been a sham. Like it's just been a fantasy. It's been a life built on sand, as Jesus says in Matthew 7. And when you realize that, that's a perfect place to meet Jesus. Just know that you will be tempted to escape. In fact... um, The temptation to escape has never been stronger or more accessible or even acceptable um, than it is right now in the digital age. Some of you at home right now watching are thinking, why in the world would I want to follow Jesus into the desert and sit with all this junk when I could just binge watch Tiger King again, right? Like why? I mean, we don't want to deal with this stuff. But here's the warning for us as disciples of Jesus. I want you to listen to me very closely, like come close to the TV, if you will. Um, 
if we squander this opportunity, if we, if we fumble this gift that God has given us, then you will actually come out on the other side of this thing, not transformed, but deformed, if not destroyed. Like my mind goes to um, the Israelites when they're in the desert, in the wilderness, and uh, God and Moses go up on top of the mountain and they're not coming down for days and days and days and the people are starting to get bored and anxious and antsy. How many of you feel that way right now, right? Bored and anxious and antsy. And so they take off all their gold and all their jewelry and they take it to Aaron and they say, like, fashion a God for us. Like, give us something that will fix us and give us an escape. Like, we want to get out of here. And so Aaron takes all their junk and makes this jerry-rigged golden calf that I'm sure did not make a very impressive God, but it did make a God that would work for them on their terms. It was an immediate quick fix for them. The only problem is that it did not help them escape their situation. It killed them. And so the warning, the exhortation for us as disciples of Jesus in this cultural moment is don't reach for buffers. Don't reach for the fix. Don't reach for false gods. Or let me say it this way. Don't reach for escape. Reach for the presence. And that brings us to the third way God changes us in the desert by bringing us into an encounter with His very presence. Eugene Peterson once said, when the superfluous is stripped away, we find the essential, and the essential is God. And we're in a season where God is stripping away the superfluous. And, and, and so that maybe you and I will realize what's always been true, that God is real, like He really does exist. He created you, and your life doesn't work apart from trusting and depending upon His presence. It's what your mind and your body and your soul have been trying to tell you all along. The physical tension, the restlessness, um, the, the anxiety that you carry has all been trying to get your attention and tell you that you were made for God and your life without Him doesn't work. It's like a fish out of water. Like it's just not an environment that you can survive in. It, it breaks you down. It's a place of pain. It's dark and it's hopeless. It doesn't work without Him. And so... Like Jesus, solitude is this place, and God is leading us in. I think this is what God wants to do in us in this, in this moment in, in history. It's this place where we encounter the presence of God and we are humbled into a posture of surrender like Jesus to say, not my will, but your will be done. And, and it's in that place where God meets you and he, he begins to take away your burdens and free you from your idols and your attachments and your addictions and heal your wounds and take away your guilt and your shame and hold you in your grief and, and give you a refuge in your fear and, and hold you in your loneliness. And it's in that place, by the way, that you realize that if you're in Christ, you're never truly alone because the Spirit of God dwells within you. And it's in that quiet place where you begin to experience the gratitude and the freedom and the peace and the joy of His presence. And you get this sense of, I'm actually okay. Like in the storms and the valleys of life and the chaos swirling around me, I'm okay because God is with me and He promises to never leave me or forsake me. Right now, God is inviting you and He's inviting me through this crisis to come to the end of yourself and surrender. And by the way, if it's not this crisis, if he's merciful, he'll send another one. 
but he's inviting us to kind of come to the end of ourselves and surrender to what it is your heart was made for, which is God himself. And the way you do that is you look to Jesus and you embrace him as your only hope. And for some of you watching right now, God is calling you to do that for the very first time in your life to turn to Jesus by faith and to believe that He is the good news that you've been searching for and longing for. He's the hope that you need to anchor your life to. Like, He really did die for your sins. He really did raise from the from the dead, proving Himself to be the King of the universe. And He's calling you to surrender to Him right now in this moment. And for many of you watching who are Christians, this is a call to press deeper into the presence of Jesus. Not withdrawal, not escape, but press deeper and, and to attach to him in deeper ways than ever before. And so my prayer is that this would be a season of fruitful dormancy for you and for our church. And so I just want that, I want that phrase to hang in you this week of fruitful dormancy. I think about um, Jesus in John 12 talking about the seed falling into the ground and lying dormant. And so Like that seed, this is a time for us to go into the ground and be dormant and die, so to speak, so that we can open up to all the resources of the soil of God's presence, so that we may bear much fruit and see more of his kingdom come and his will be done in northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven. And I have no doubt, tons of conviction, that is what God wants to do in his church in this moment of redemptive history. The question is, What will you do with your time in the desert? How are you receiving this as a gift? And maybe at this point, some of you are asking, well, what does this look like practically? Like, how do I turn this season of isolation into the spiritual discipline of solitude? How do you practice that? What does that look like? And so let me close by giving you just a few practical tips on how to apply this. Tip number one, if you're going to practice solitude, You've got to find a rhythm of retreat that works for you. And I think a helpful question is, how would Jesus practice solitude if he were me? So if Jesus were a stay-at-home mom or dad, or he suddenly found himself stuck at home with three crazy kids, or if he worked nights, or if he were a single college student, or if he were working full-time and going to school, like what would Jesus' rhythm of retreat look like if he were you? And you just have to be intentional and discover what works for you. Um, for most people, early in the morning before your kids get out of bed is a, is a helpful place. Morning, midday, and evening is a great rhythm. If you can find a scheduled stop somewhere, and just even if you have to go to the bathroom for five minutes and just be alone. But you have to find a rhythm of retreat that works for you. Or this moment will just happen to you and pass you by. Um, tip number two, don't get overwhelmed by this. Um, I love, St. Teresa said that when it comes to prayer, everyone is a beginner. So we're all beginners. Don't think like, I don't know enough. I haven't been following Jesus long enough. I, I Avoid any kind of judgment of yourself and of the process and just let it be what it is. Tip number three, start your time in solitude with silence. So whenever you get into your Ramos, you get into your place, if it's the bathroom, if it's like a spare room, whatever it might be, the front porch, when you get there, start your time with silence. Um, the goal is to commune with God beyond words. Like just to abide in the vine, as Jesus said in John 15, and to be with God and for God to just be with you. And so start small. Start with one minute, two minutes of of just silence, and then you can build on that as you go. Tip number four, you will get distracted in the silence, so focus on your breathing. Um, 
your mind needs something to do or it will just escape. Like, uh, and so the solution is, is to just let your mind focus on your breathing. Christians have been practicing this for centuries, this breath prayers. It can be really helpful to add a, a, a prayer to your breathing rhythms. And so you inhale, and as you inhale, you pray something like, Come, Lord Jesus. And then you exhale, and as you exhale, you pray, Help me be with you. Or a famous one is you inhale and you pray the phrase, Come, Lord, or, Lord Jesus Christ, and you exhale, Son of God. And then you inhale and you pray, have mercy on me, and you exhale and you pray, a sinner. And 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 when, not if, but when your distractions come, don't beat yourself up. Just come back to your breathing, turn it over to God, and know that He is always patiently waiting on you and happy to be with you. Tip number five, and we're almost done. Pay attention, as always, to any thoughts, feelings, compulsions that surface. And don't see those as things to be managed or fixed, but just as invitations from Jesus, places to meet with Jesus. Just invite Him into that when those things begin to surface. Tip number six, um, after a brief period of silence, add elements of Scripture meditation, prayer requests, thanksgiving as part of your time alone with God. Um, you got to play with this and make it your own. It's your relationship with God. Okay, and relationships, um, they're organic, which means they need structure, but they also need room to just flow and breathe. So don't get too caught up on like, now how long do I spend in silence and then do I, before I can start talking and, and making prayer requests and do I need to read scripture before I talk to God and do prayer requests or like when do I need to practice gratitude? Like how do I need to order this? Just play with it. It's your relationship with God. Add elements to it. Um, um, it's, it's, it's yours to discover. Tip number seven, and this is the last one. Solitude is more than being physically alone. Like some of you watching right now, like I know my wife is like, when I, I can't even go to the bathroom alone. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, I mean, I don't have, I don't have any idea like how, how I'm supposed to do this. Solitude is more than being physically alone. When Jesus commands his disciples in Matthew 6, 6 to go into their inner room and shut the door and pray, Scholars talk about how Jesus is not just telling them to go into a private place in their house, but to enter into an internal place in their anatomy. Like there is a room fashioned inside your body, in the deepest core of your soul, where Jesus dwells by faith, Paul says in Ephesians 3. And Jesus commands us to go into that secret place and pray. And the trick is to learn to live there, right? To learn to be in two places at once to commune with God and be with God and be at work, to, to be in God's presence and be on a walk or a drive or exercising or taking a shower or doing the laundry or even in the swirling chaos of a pandemic, through the discipline of solitude, you can learn to calm and quiet your soul, as Psalm 131 says, and live from within that inner place of communion with God, to have perfect peace because your mind is stayed on God's presence, to quote, Isaiah 26, 3. This is not another thing for you to figure out or master. And the good news is God does not want to withhold His presence from you. He's not trying to hide from you. Um, through the personal work of Jesus, God has revealed Himself to you. And He wants to heal you and heal the ache of loneliness by bringing you into communion with Himself. It's the goal of redemptive history. 
And so with that being said, in just a moment, we're going to sing another song, but I just want to end with a time of prayer. And I know that it may be hard for you. I've gone long and, and maybe you're losing focus with kids or whatever, but this is a great opportunity for us just to practice going into that inner place. And so I just want to invite you, wherever you are, to close your eyes in this moment. And I want to encourage you to uh, just take a deep breath. And as you breathe in, pray this phrase, Come, Lord Jesus. And as you exhale, pray, I open myself up to you. And so just breathe in. Pray, come, Lord Jesus. Now exhale and pray, I open myself up to you. And just become aware of any emotions or or physical sensations running through your body, any thoughts running through your mind. Right now, I just want you to invite God to meet you there. Jesus, meet me in my pain, in my anxiety, in my worry, in my distraction, in my idol of comfort or control, whatever it is for you. Ask Him to meet you there. And in that place, I just want to pray for you this morning. And so, Father, I do pray right now that you would flood our souls Flood your church, flood this city in northeast Arkansas with your presence in a way that brings us to a place of surrender, embracing you as the good news we long for, that produces a revival. God, I'm just I'm 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 thankful as I reflect on the gospel that on the cross, Jesus, you experienced the most painful act of loneliness where you were separated from the presence of your Father so that we never have to be. So God, I pray right now as you bring us into this desert and into this wilderness that you would meet us, that you would have your way with us, that the gospel would take deep, deep, deep root in us and explode into the fruit of your kingdom. God, we just ask that you would do all these things for your glory and the fame of your name. Amen.